and welcome to another episode of the Performance Car Podcast by Motor Magazine. I'm Scott Newman. And I'm Dylan Campbell. And today we are in a Porsche 911 Turbo, specifically a 991.2 model. So the Porsche 911 Turbo is powered by a 3.8 litre twin turbo flat six, producing 397 kilowatts and 710 newton metres, which results in 0 to 100 k's an hour in 3 seconds dead and a 320 kilometre an hour top speed. Uh, it's $390,000 roughly uh, as it is, but this one has a few options on it, as you can see here, quite a few options, which brings it to $411,300 before on-road costs. So we're talking big money here. Uh, 991.2 means it's the midlife, midlife update of the 991 model. So it's a 991-911, which can be a bit confusing, but you know, bear with us. Uh, a few changes, you've got a little dial on the steering wheel now which allows you to choose drive mode, sport, sport plus, individual or comfort. You get a sport response button in the middle which uh, primes the drivetrain for maximum response for 20 seconds. Essentially you hit it and everything goes to maximum attack. You go into the sportiest engine mode and all that sort of thing for overtaking basically. I don't know, sort of know, it doesn't give you any more power really so I don't know why else you'd use it in terms of a push to pass or anything like that. It goes to like the most immediately like lowest gear as Yeah, well. so you press it and it goes wah and off you go. Uh, it's got a dynamic boost function now which means it holds boost between gear changes. Oh no, sorry, it doesn't. Uh, not only that, it if you're on a twisty road and you go full throttle then off and then back on again, the engine will actually hold its boost pressure now. It'll keep you know spinning the turbos so that when you get back on the throttle, bang, maximum power. The turbo has half inch wider wheels, same as the, uh, which makes them the same size as the Turbo S now, and you get mainly lots of active, active safety stuff like blind spot monitoring, auto brake, you get the new infotainment which works very well. But we want to talk about what's under the skin of this car. So let's start with this car I guess, Dylan, you've been driving it around all week. Um, what do you like about the turbo? What could they do better? That sort of stuff. Well, the interesting thing I find about this car is it just has such a um, broad scope of personalities kind of thing. Like, just driving around in it like we are now, uh, it feels very tame and behaved. Um, it certainly doesn't hint at the at its performance potential. Mm, rides quite well too. Yeah, it does. Comfy. It's a very comfortable car to drive around in on a, on a daily basis. Um, but press a few buttons, and um, for me, there aren't many cars, uh, aren't many performance cars out there that go from behaved, timid thing to absolute crazy performance car uh, with just the press of a few buttons. And once this car gets its horns out kind of thing, it is so fast and so capable. It's just crazy it can go from this to this. We'll get onto the performance in a, in a sec, but let's talk about that, the 911's trump card in many ways. It's day-to-day -day usability. I mean, you'll notice we don't have Josh with us. It's actually because he's sick, the poor, poor fella. But, Porsche was a bit nervous about having him in the back of the 911 anyway because it's not the roomiest back there. But while it's not designed for adult occupants, I think talking to Porsche and other people, a lot of people who buy this car, the rear seats, even for occasional use, are a real boon. And it makes it, it's part of this car's breadth of personality. You can use it every day, you can take the kids to school in the back, and you can drive it like a hot hatch or anything. like. Day-to-day uh, -day traffic, so it works really well. Probably better than most other cars in its segment, on that, you know, prosaic level. Yeah, and the one thing I've noticed driving around in it, like on a daily basis, is that it is a 911, 
like a hardcore performance 911 that's been made to feel luxurious mm -hmm. as opposed to like a luxury car that has a sporting side if yeah. that sort of makes sense like something like a Mercedes S63 Coupe yeah, or like, something like a Bentley Continental yeah. or something like that uh, at its core this is a hardcore performance car and you, and you can still notice that on a day to day basis there's mm -hmm. still a little bit of vibration coming through the engine like when you stop at traffic lights and stuff like that the ride is really nice but it still has a tiny little edge to it at times it is, it's not plush it's still firm no no you still you're aware that underneath you is a is a performance car mm -hmm. absolutely and that's a very smooth segue intentional or not the reason we kind of booked this car i wanted to do the podcast on it is because the turbo s model of this car is our reigning motor performance car of the year champion so porsche has basically dominated performance car of the year you'll often talk hear us talk about bacotti so that's performance car of the year some uh, unkind observers have sometimes called it Porsche Car of the Year. Uh, I've got the figures here. It's won, we've held 21 Performance Car of the Years, and Porsche has won 13 of them. So that's fairly dominant in, any, uh, in anyone's language. So we're going to talk a little bit about why that's the case. And there's a hint. <laughs> there's a slight hint, because uh, it majors on the performance angle. But obviously these are high-end sports cars and not everyone is lucky enough to be able to have experienced one or to have driven one. So we get it in that uh, for those people that maybe can't stretch to one of these or can't afford one, those kind of have never even driven one, it's, it's hard to just see that result and go, oh, Porsche wins every year, maybe not cheaper cars. Um, and it's worth touching on, like, as the editor of the magazine, you don't want Porsche to win every year. Like regardless of the results, it's not a good result for the magazine. In that having it's like anything, having the one one thing dominate a competition or an event, it isn't good for business in one respect, is it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, so you can split performance car of the year into two sort of distinct things. Like from a magazine perspective and from a business perspective, mm. you want a bit of variety. With yeah. Winners. You, you want to go shock winner. Or... Yeah. You want the reader the readers to be flicking through and wondering to themselves, oh, I wonder what's won this year. Mm. Um, but having the same manufacturer win many years, like years and years and years, um, sometimes back to back, mm -hmm. it's not good, it's it's, uh, it's very predictable. Yeah. But then from the award perspective, um, you have to sort of protect the credibility of the award as well, yeah. it's performance car of the year, and the best car wins, it is the performance car of the year wins the event. That's absolutely right, I always say that the only thing worse than a Porsche sort of winning every year, not that it wins every year, but then we've had this dominance, but the only thing worse than that would be not rewarding the award to the best car that year. That would be far worse, you know, for, for any reason, changing the criteria or, you know, changing the winner or giving something else a brutal leg up because it's, you know, it wasn't quite the best, but we wanted a different winner. Like it's, that's the thing, it's, it's not necessarily our ideal scenario. We want varied winners, but the best car has to win. And the best car is usually a Porsche for the reasons we're about to go into. So what, for you, is the defining characteristic that, given historically, Porsche has made the best performance car? Why is that the case? Um, it's very hard to talk, to talk about this and give an answer without completely gushing about Porsche and sounding <laughs> like uh, there's an envelope of cash in the glove box um, with my name on it. But there's just, when you get into a, into most Porsche sports cars, or pretty much all, any sport, Porsche sports car on sale today, everything just feels right. Mm. It just feels right. You get in it, you're sitting in the perfect position. You don't feel like, you know, you don't think to yourself, oh, I wish the steering wheel was a little bit closer, a little bit higher, a little bit lower. Um, the brake pedal feel just feels really natural and organic and right. Um, the power delivery always just feels really 
just just feels really seamless and like you're hemmed into the car and it doesn't take long before the car does feel like it is a cliche like an extra sensory extension of your body it reeks of thorough engineering doesn't oh, it, it does it, it feels like this giant suit that you wear mm. kind of thing like a back a really nice nice fitting backpack mm. that you put on and that just does wonders for your confidence when you go to actually drive the car fast and use its performance and if you feel really confident driving a, fa a fast car fast mm -hmm. you're going to have fun you're not going to be frightened absolutely it always seems to do what you want it to absolutely you never think to yourself i wonder what this thing is going to do next mm -hmm. which is interesting because the engine's in the boot yeah absolutely mm -hmm. I know, that's the weird thing isn't it it's so thoroughly engineered yet the inherent engineering principle that mm -hmm. guides this car is inherently flawed because yeah. the weight distributions all up the all up the um you know all up the creek although yeah. it's interesting that I often think about this car when, remember when that Nissan Delta Wing thing came out, it looked crazy because it had this massive wide track. Yeah. But this car is essentially a version of that because it has very narrow front tyres, I think they're 245s, and on the rear it wears like 305s because it's all about having, the reason the car feels quite balanced I think from what I understand it is that the contact patch of the tyre is proportionate to the weight distribution. Sure. So that's why, that's why, that's one of the ways they get around it. Obviously they've they shuffle it but essentially I think this car is still like 3862 or something like that like it's a long long way from the ideal of 50-50 but you do have to drive around that a little bit do you find you have to drive around that a little bit still? Um, you sort of do and you don't you, you don't have to as much as you think you do no. like if you've not driven a say a mid-engine Porsche before or a rear-engine Porsche before you, you get in it and you think oh my god all the weight is in the middle or the back of this thing I'm going to have to completely change how I drive particularly on a, on a racetrack you sort of get in and it kind of feels like a normal car but it does have some quirks to its personality that led on about where all the weight is yeah and that's sort of what you've got to be a little bit careful about yeah i mean i've, I've only ever driven 991 911 so it's probably the same so i don't i've never really experienced that bobbing bobbling thing in the nose and you know the older portions that didn't have that that still needed a bit more technique and finesse i still think it is in the case of this car Things like the GT3 and things like that especially need a bit of uh, finesse if you really want to get the best out of them. Like they'll go very, very fast, particularly the turbo. Mm. They'll go very, very fast of their own accord if you can drive it however you want to drive it. But if you do want to get that last little bit, and I remember when we go, we've both done the Porsche Sport Driving School thing, um, they do really focus on that brake application to, to neutralise the weight on corner entry. So there's still definitely a technique to these cars, even though they are dumbed down compared to you know the Porsches of old yeah I feel like it would take great skill to get the to get that last like 10 to 5 percent out of, out of the car mm. um, particularly on a racetrack that's when sort of the amateur drivers are separated from the, the Warren Luffs of the world yeah. kind of thing to extract those final percentage points um, in it from a 911 or any car really you you've really got to be on it I guess for me that for me to answer the question I put to you was what separates Porsches every year we do Bucati or any track testing and it's that final few percent that separates it because whenever you have a Porsche, it feels inexhaustible in its reserves. The Porsche is one of the very, very few manufacturers. Porsches are, you know, and we're talking about it, they're sports cars here, they're, you know, they're Caymans, but even like a base Cayman or a base Boxster, you can push as hard as you want in it and the car will never wilt. Obviously, it will, it will start to slide, you know, understeer or oversteer at a certain point, but, you know, in other cars you might start snatching a wheel of ABS or you'll start um, you know the steering will maybe get a bit ragged or the body control will start to fall apart a little bit 
you get a bit scrappy wheel spin, whereas a Porsche just seems to lap it up and go, yep, let's get on with it, fantastic. You want to have a go? I'll have a go with you. And like you said, that that ease of the control weights give you confidence. So you're allowed to drive, you can, if you're not a very good driver, it will allow you to drive better than you normally can because you feel confident. Yep. But if you are a good driver and want to really push this car, whether it's a Cayman or a 911 Turbo, it just feels totally up for it. Like you can drive a car as harder and harder and harder and you go, oh wait, there's more. There's still more grip. There's still more steering response. Yeah. Even on a track, I mean, every year, it's like it, it's, the point of this podcast isn't to be totally sycophantic about Porsche, but rather to explain why these cars are so good. Whenever we go to Performance Car of the Year, the Porsches do more laps than any other car on a racetrack, and they always feel best. One of the key points about last year's Performance Car of the Year, I mean, we had everything last year. We threw everything at the Turbo S. We had a Ferrari 488, we had a Lamborghini Huracan, we had a Audi R8 V10 Plus, Nissan GTR. Without naming names, at the end of that week, some very, very impressive cars felt like they could probably do with a decent service. The brakes were starting to creak. Yep. There are a couple of creaks and you know rattles in the cars here and there. Whereas the Porsche, the turbos felt like it could do another three Bugattis. Yeah, that's the thing with, with Porsche. I mean, not only do the cars drive in a very natural way and they've got amazing performance, but their build quality in the interior is often like, you know, second to none. Um, you very rarely find like a rattle in a, in a new Porsche or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, you, it feels like uh, it, most Porsche products, if not all of them, can take a hundred lap beating on a racetrack. Yeah. And they, they often do. You go to the, the driver training days and they have the same cars there running around all day and at the end of the day they just use them again the next day after yeah. a big check it's it's crazy absolutely when we when i last did it with the launch of the just superseded gt3 like not only did each person use the same car all day but the same car was used for like six people like the gt3 that we used did something like 120 laps in queensland in queensland summer heat and needed a new set of tires at the end of the day and that's yeah. fine like it's it's unbelievable and the car wasn't even on carbon ceramic brakes it's yeah still on steel brakes, it's um, the punishment that can, I mean Porsche haven't been without their reliability problems over the years, like 996 engines, the intermediate shaft problems and even the early GT3s they had those engine fire issues, but it seems like once they do iron those bugs out, um, I suppose every manufacturer has those bugs to a certain extent, they are pretty bulletproof, you can only go to any club track day and you know from 30 years old to brand new there's going to be a field of 911s and Caymans there. Mm, yeah. And every time I drive a, a 911 or a, or a Boxer or a Cayman on track, I always get this sensation that if I own that, if I own this car, I would never get bored of it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. If you if you can learn how to drive at one of those cars fast and well, then you will be an absolutely incredible driver. Mm-hmm. And you could go multiple, many, many, many track days without ever getting bored. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's always something new to learn. Yep. Whereas some cars we test, you sort of drive them on the track and you go, yeah, I mean, I'm not getting the best out of this car. But you start to feel like you're getting to the car's limit yeah. a little bit. They start to get a yeah. bit scrappy or whatever. Not a Porsche. I always feel like this car's limits and its ability and its talents are, you know, far greater than mine as a, as a driver. Well, let's talk about the turbo in that respect. Uh, because it's got this reputation of being, I guess, not the boring 911, but it is, it's all-wheel drive, it's turbocharged. It's not a high-rev screamer like the GT3. It hasn't got that motorsport focus. And I guess there's maybe the perception that it is a bit of a you know, a bit locked down, but obviously I can't speak for previous 996 and 997 turbos, I haven't driven them, but certainly it's not the case in this car. I mean, this car is a real entertainer still. Yeah, I mean, it, 
it sort of is the clinician of the 911 range. It's mm -hmm. not as emotional as the GD3. Um, it is it is the, more, the most luxurious 911 model, uh, you know, turbo S aside. Um, but it is it doesn't mean this car is not fun. No, or, not at all. Or not fast. It is absolutely crazy the performance in this car. Just the power, the braking performance, the, the grip available. Um, and you can have a lot of fun in it. it Absolutely. Does, it does feel rear-driven at times as well. Yeah, I mean, for me, the big surprise, I guess, when we first drove one of these on track is that how playful it can be. I mean, it was wet at last year's Picotti, so that made it even easier. But at the Turbo S, you go, oh, this, you know, super grippy, super powerful, all-wheel drive car. But you just trail the brakes in slowly. You use that weight, use that weight, you know, disadvantage to your advantage. Mm. And the thing will just flick into a corner and then you can ride it out with the throttle. The all-wheel drive system shuffles torque beautifully. It'll let you hold a slide, but also give you traction to pull you out. Like, they haven't just locked it down. They've made it... You can still do massive skids in this car if you want to be a hooligan in it. Yeah, it feels like it's the engineers that have tried to sense what you're trying to do with the car and then help you with it. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to drive it nice and clean and straight and the car will, will help you do that. But if you want to have a bit of fun with it, the car senses what you're trying to do and it will let you have a bit of fun. It won't try and clamp down like other cars. That said, neither of us voted for the 911 last year. We both voted for the Ferrari 488, but there's five judges. Obviously, three, three of them voted for the 911. It wins. It had the higher overall score. And I mean, that's the thing. I had the, I had the Turbo S, I think, second by half a point to the Ferrari. And I think Dylan, there was only a couple of points in it as well. Um, so why did you vote for the Ferrari over the Porsche, though? The performance of the 488, particularly its engine performance and just its speed from like 100 to 200 kilometers an hour is just ridiculous, absolutely breathtaking, mm. like mind-bending acceleration and it feels like the acceleration just doesn't end. Mm. Like you, if you play a game of chicken with that car kind of thing to see when the acceleration will start to taper off, you'll you'll be whippering out before yeah. the car does. That's right. And I, you know, my vote wasn't just for the engine performance of that car; it's it's everything else. Yeah, it was. It was came down to it was so close. I had to go. If I had one last drive, like one last drive in my in my life, which of these cars would I take? And that was the 488. It's still you can play with it in a way you can't necessarily play with this car. On track, you can play with this car if you've got. A, but you need a bit of space. You need a bit of you know, um, balls, I guess, in, to overcome the to overcome the um, grip, whereas the Ferrari, you can play with it like it's a, you know, giant 86 almost, mm. with 700 horsepower almost. Yeah. So, but when you try and pick holes in this thing, like, road noise is kind of it. Um, 911s have always had a road noise bugbear a little bit, because they've got big tyres on them, there's not a huge amount of insulation, and they're still quite light as these things go. This is 1,600 kilos, this car. Um, but apart from road noise, what do you pick? What do you what do you do? I mean, it depends. It does depend what you want from your high performance car mm -hmm. for circa four hundred thousand dollars. If you want something that's going to attract a lot of attention, mm -hmm. that's something that's important to you. You know, you look back at the car when you're walking away, and you, you, your jaw sort of falls onto the ground. There are other cars available yep. for because this that thing price. competes with you know Huracan, mm. R8, McLaren. Very competitive yeah. in the pricing segment. Absolutely. So. Um, does this do the pops and crackles when you put it in sport mode? Um, it does a little bit, yes. Okay, because yeah. I remember the one of the other thing about the turbo is it's even if it is entertaining to drive, it's, a, it's still quite clinical. You know, it has it sounds like a you know 997s kind of sounded like a big vacuum cleaner almost. They had a lot of induction turbo whoosh, but they don't scream like mm. a GT3 or other manufacturers. But this that was really surprised with the turbo S in that it would do that 
Well, you know, the turbo's whooshing in your, in your ears and you can hear the blow-off noises and it would go pop, pop, bang, 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 bang off the... So suddenly, the car had a personality as well. So going into that event, I was like, oh, you know, it's going to be a great car. These mm. things always are. But will it have that personality? And that's what I've probably got at a, a point or two more for me is that, you know, you can't just level that at it. It's got, it's got that X factor that mm. makes you excited to drive it and go, yeah, this is cool. This, is, this isn't just a, a road-destroying rocket. It's got, you know, it's a cool driver's car. Yeah, absolutely. I think, it, like in isolation, it does it does have its own personality. For me, it's very mature, sort of professional personality mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's not like a, you know boy racery, um, like dare I say, the GT3. Is, I wouldn't call it boy racery, but it has a very focused, like um, very focused kind of highly strung feel to it. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, it does feel like its own thing in a very sort of uh, mature way. Well, question for you: uh, Now that the base Carrera is a turbocharged, how do you find? the base Carrera and the 911 Turbo different and where does this car fit into the 911 range now that the, the base Carrera is also a turbo? Yeah, well that's interesting is that I asked the Porsche engineer about this because that was my big question when you when the 911 was like, it's like what the, what's the point of a 911 Turbo if all the 911s are turbo to make it simple um, and to the, to, it's basically come down to delivery now um, these are the words of Porsche, not necessarily me, but I think you can feel that when you drive this car. They still want this car to have that massive mid-range, like the torque, the power curve and torque curve goes bang and then flattens out. Mm. So, so when you hit the throttle, you go, you get thrown back in your seat. Mm. Whereas the Carrera, they're really, and I guess the Boxster and Cayman a little bit as well, they're mapping it to have that linear. So you still want to chase revs. You still want to rev it right out to 7,500 RPM. So I guess that's what will differentiate them. It's going to be hard to see where they I mean we say this with every car <laughs> we say oh there we go uh, you say this with every car but it's hard to see where they go from here um, because the normal Carreras now are so fast with their turbocharged engine and this I mean we the, the turbo S at Picotti ran 2.9 seconds to 100 and a 10.7 quarter mile like what do you do like how fast are they going to get so it's going to be interesting to see how they they manage that manage that differentiation of the models and what they do with this car. Do they just keep throwing power at it? Do they keep throwing speed at it? Is that its function? Or yeah, will, will the next one be two and a half seconds to one hundred? Will it be hybrid? Who knows? So we don't know the answer at the moment. But it's still it's still a great car, and I think that they are still different in personality to the. Carrera compared to this car. Yeah, that's right. The Carrera feels like, like you said, they've made a turbo engine behave as naturally aspirated as possible. Yeah. Whereas this car does still feel very boosty and it's, it still has that excitement as it does come on boost that's just kind of hard to match. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, really, if you want to sum up the performance car thing, I found a couple of things. The fastest car we've ever performance tested is a 911 Turbo S, which was a Picotti lot, and the fastest car we've ever driven around Winton is a 911 GD3. Mm. So if you want to know why they're performance car of the year, or, you know, the two standards that we have are both Porsches, and that includes, you know, Lambo with performance test, now we test performance test of the 488. So they are quite amazing machines, and, you know, I don't know if I would buy a 911, I don't think I'd buy a 911 Turbo either, but you have to respect them for what they do. They do an amazing job in terms of engineering a... I mean, really, it, and the people who build this car, you can just tell they understand and know what, they're enthusiasts themselves and they know what makes a good driver's car. Yeah, and not only have they made a car um, for hardcore enthusiasts, but it's not like they've made a car for racing drivers either. No. There are some performance cars where you feel 
like it has been ra- has been uh, built and engineered for someone um, who is a you know, high level racing car yeah. driver. And if you're just an enthusiast driver, uh, that's probably a little bit too much for you. So that you drive the car, it's hard to feel confident. Not these cars. These cars feel like they're made for enthusiast level of driving. Um, and so when you do drive it, you do feel very comfortable in it, and you are able to use all the performance. Absolutely. What do you think? Let us know. Have you driven a Porsche? Do you own a Porsche? Do you back what we've said? Have you found that uh, the Porsche thing doesn't work for you? Or do you agree that you've driven a number of models and the Porsche was uh, the pick for you as well? Uh, As ever, any issues or cars you'd like us to test, let us know in the comments. You can find us on YouTube, audio on iTunes or Podbean. So we'll see you again with another episode of the Performance Car Podcast very soon.